Today's topic is managing your inner critic. Our guest is Anne Marie Neal. She is the HF Chief Talent Officer and also has her doctorate in clinical psychology. So, the perfect person to get into this topic around how to manage your inner critic. But the great learning I had from this is that an inner critic isn't all bad and it's really about how to reframe it and use your inner critic for good to help you do hard things and take on changes. So I think you'll learn a lot and pick up many practical examples. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody. What a great topic we have today and it's managing your inner critic, which I think is a topic all of us can relate to. We've all faced this and we have the perfect guest to talk about this. I want to introduce Anne-Marie, and Anne-Marie has a very impressive career, and Anne-Marie Neal, and she joined H&F in 2015 as the Chief Talent Officer and is a director at Snap One, and she also has been in so many leadership positions. She was a Chief Talent Officer at Cisco Systems, at First Data Corporation, and has really spent much of her career over 20 years working with global organizations on executive leadership talent management, organizational development. But the really interesting link here, I think, on this managing your inner critic is that she also has her doctorate in clinical psychology with an emphasis in management psychology. So when we start talking about inner critic, not only does Anne-Marie bring the perspective of what it's like in life and in career, but also has the background to really give us some good counsel advice on this topic. So Anne-Marie, welcome. What have I missed in your story? I think you handled it perfectly, Patty. Thank you. It was terrific. Oh, and I appreciate great. this warm welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So Me too. I want to jump right in because I don't think anyone needs needs any background of what's an inner critic. We all have it. And, you know, Anne-Marie, have you, as you and I have gotten to know each other and we've talked, you really gravitated to this topic. And I'm really curious why, what has that meant to you and just... How did it? How does it come to the top of your list when you're talking about managing through change and making things happen? Yeah, um, it's a great question. You know, so for me, I really geek out on all these sorts of things that are psychologically infusing our ability to both, you know, navigate the world as humans, but also navigate the world as as leaders, and in particular, change leaders. And I find in the work that I do with executives, my practice is predominantly focused on the senior most executives of, of companies, you know, who are at the, you know, pinnacle of their careers, right? They're CEOs, they're, they're executives on boards, they're members of management teams, and they all deal with change. And they all deal with, I like to call the inner critic, some call it the inner narrative, others call it your inner dialogue, you know, but this sense of the radio station that plays in your head, you know, sometimes you're aware of it, it's playing, you know, quite loudly, sometimes it's playing really quietly, and sometimes it's playing in the background, you don't even know it. And it's transmitting all these crazy little messages to you that on the healthy side of the continuum, really propel and motivate on the, you know, what we call dysfunctional side of the continuum, you know, can grip and paralyze um, really smart, really talented, really good people, you know, from doing what they hope to do, what they always aspired uh, to do. 
So it's in my work every day, regardless of, of where, you know, people sit, regardless of how, you know, psychologically minded, and I put that in air quotes, <laughs> one is, you know, it's ever present. What I like to do, Patty, is, is use it as a tool, you know, to help people think about this as one of your superpowers. And when you own it and name it and embrace it and love it and empower it, it actually can be quite a positive, quite a positive attribute in, in your skill set. So talk about that, because I think most of us, we, we think of our inner critic as, you know, it's a demon. It's, it's like something that's always on our shoulder and dragging us down, yet you're describing it as a superpower. So how can that be? Well, you know, all good things have a dark side, right? <laughs> yes, they so, do. So, yeah. So here's, here's how I think about this. Okay. So your inner critic, you know, really is, you know, go back to your, you know, psychology 101 class, Sigmund Freud. It's really your superego, right? You have an id, ego, superego. It is all of the stuff that, you know, unharnessed, you know, it's out there, it's wild, desires, etc. You know, your ego is the manager of all things coming in and going out. And then your superego is, you know, it's, it's really your conscience, right? It's the good morals and law and order that you put over, over life, you know, think in terms of, of things in our world that are, are super egos, you know, church and religion can be a super ego for some people. It puts order and structure, you know, to, to their lives. So it's, it's healthy to have a good super ego because it, you know, keeps you out of jail. Having said that, you know, too much superego or too much superego that runs amok can be, you know, paralyzing, right? It can be, you know, you think in terms of the people that are, are you know, reminding us all the time, you know, how, how wrong we are or how judged, you know, we should be. And so, you know, at its extreme, the superego judges and it criticizes and it demeans, right? So how I think about this sometimes is, you know, on a healthy end, your inner critic is about your fears, right? My fears about what I'm, you know, what I'm about to step out and do, you know, it's going to say, ooh, warning, be careful. You know, it's icy, don't slip, um, that kind of healthy caution, you know, healthy boundaries about, you know, be careful, be careful. Right. On the extreme, it's somebody else's fears, it's typically fears of those early in one's life that they, you know, I'll get a little psychological. They project it onto you as a little person. You didn't know what to do with them. So you owned them because, you know, somebody powerful or meaningful in your life gave them to you. You thought they were gifts. Come to find out they're Pandora's box, right? And so, you know, these are, you know, your mother's fears about, you know, being you, you leaving the neighborhood and getting kidnapped. So therefore, you know, there's a projection of all this stuff. It goes into your inner critic and somehow you as a little person say, Ooh, I will be a very bad person if I leave the boundaries of my, of my yard. Right. But, and you don't have the coping skills when you're super young to understand what all of those messages mean. And so you just take them in. And you own them and they become part of that recording that I referenced earlier that, you know, is blaring in your ear something that on good days could be quite productive on bad days could be destructive. Yeah. God, there's a lot. Okay. There's a lot to talk about in there. And the other thing that you mentioned very early on that I think is very interesting is that 
we all know super successful people that have an, a very strong inner critic, which sometimes it's surprising. You know, you, you get to know someone you and you someone that you think of just literally is amazing, has it all, has done everything, yet here is the inner critic. So talk about that a little bit about success and accomplishments. Is that completely separate from how strong your inner critic is? Well, you know, it's so interesting because I see it all the time. Like for me personally, you know, I have a crazy inner critic. My inner critic, I literally have to say, shut the bleep up. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, if I leave it alone, it, you know, I would stay in the house and never, you know, and never leave. You know, I'm not tall enough. I'm, you know, not smart enough. I'm not whatever enough. Right. And so I think you can be incredibly accomplished. By the way, I'm certain I'm as accomplished as I am because I was fighting the voice of the inner critic my entire career. You know, it would say, well, you can't, you know, you're not smart enough to go to college. And I would say, well, yeah, maybe I am. You're not smart enough to get a doctorate. Well, yeah, maybe I am. You're not smart enough to work with executives. Yeah, well, maybe I am. You know, so it is an inner dialogue, you know, that goes on um, in folks. I think the more accomplished people are, oftentimes the stronger it is. And it's the ability to challenge it and fight it um, that, you know, like I said, you know, it can motivate people to do things that are crazy. But I also think there's this part, you know, and and I know your series is a lot about people who are, you know, aspiring for change, um, not only in themselves personally, but driving it in, in, you know, the settings they operate within, you know, the job of a leader and define leader any which way you could be a civil leader, you could be a social leader, you could be a corporate leader, could be a thought leader, whatever way in which you choose to lead. Right. You know, the job of a leader is to make it different, to make it matter, right? To, to by definition, to charter new waters. Right. So, of course, you know, there's no roadmap. There's no plan of certainty. If there is, it's not change. Correct. It's just doing the same thing you did yesterday a little bit differently. So, you know, when we're in that space of uncertainty, that's when our inner critics will will get quite loud because it's remember it's going back to say be safe be safe you're going on thin ice right and so it serves a purpose and so it will get louder when you're going out there you know much more dangerous uncharted territory yeah and i want to also go to the point you made anybody in your own life Anne Marie about how you feel that that inner critic probably helped you do a lot of things. And so in some ways, yeah. you know, I feel like inner critic, if, if we had a focus group, most people would say bad, that's bad, yeah. right? And yeah. your inner critic is bad. Yet, how do you, you know, you're saying it, it also can fuel you. And so talk yeah. a little bit about maybe even in your own experience, how that inner critic, you turned it to be more of a positive influence in your life instead of keeping you stuck. Yeah, I thought it was bad early on in my career too, by the way. It was something that, you know, would be gripping and I, and I, and I could be quite dysfunctional, you know, in, in response to it. I read this fantastic book in my training by Donald Winnicott and it, it's called The Good Enough Mother. And it's ah. quite psychological, you know, yeah. you know, if you really, really have a, lo- a lot of good dark coffee, you could, you could <laughs> work your way through it. Okay. But, but the gist of the book is, is The Good Enough Mother. It's like you don't have to be the most sophisticated, you know, perfectly coiffed mother to raise really healthy 
children. And, you know, if you had a good enough mother, you probably have good enough set of skills, coping mechanisms, et cetera, to navigate your way through life. And so the sense of good enough, you know, I pulled from that. And I think in terms of, you don't have to be right. You just have to be enough. You just have to be the best version of me. And you just have to bring your soul into all that you do. And so this sense of good enough mother, good enough leader, good enough spouse, good enough dog walker, whatever you're calibrating yourself against, calibrated against good enough, as opposed to this ideal, never going to happen version of perfection. If you're perfect, you're not going to change the world. Oh, no, definitely. If right. that's your goal. And you you probably, right. I mean, all of the research would say you're probably not, you're going to stay stuck because it's too Always. risky to do something that Always. might not be perfect. That's you right. know, also this topic, the good enough mother, I think is an interesting comment because so many women, successful women and successful women who are career women who are also mothers, those are the ones that if I had to categorize and say the segment of where I see the most inner critic and guilt, it is among that, that group. And I'm really curious, not that all listeners are, are working mothers, but how do you advise someone if they are facing that, that given that you brought this up, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. You know, it, to me, it's this formula of happiness and the formula of happiness is um, reality and ex- the calibration of reality and expectations. <laughs> so if yep. I set my reality or my expectations, I'm sorry, to be really, 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 really high, I better make sure my reality around me, my conditions for success are are also very high. You can calibrate back and forth. So you can, you know, if your reality isn't perfect, change your expectations. You know, if your expectations are high and you say, I'm sorry, my expectations are high, I really am going to be, you know, I'm going to be a very um, highly trustworthy, ethical person. And I'm in a, an environment, a work environment where, you know, it's toxic, then I'm going to leave. I'm going to change my reality to align to my expectations. And so I think this formula of the combination, you know, calibrating the two, putting them, if you think in terms of a visual balance, making sure you can balance those helps with the working mother. So for example, you know, I'm a single mom. I raised, and I'm a son and he's now in college, but you know, I used to say to him, sweetie, I'm just a good enough mom. So like, you have to help me be a better mom. If I'm like missing the mark, like we're in this together and you're just a good enough kid. And I'm going to help you balance, you know, a little bit to get, you know, when you're a little bit off And together, we're going to navigate this so that at the end of this sort of journey called raising, you know, (laughs) a good enough child, you know, you will be good enough. I will navigate it. And I think what happens often is that people don't make, you know, all of this noise in their head, the unconscious conscious, right? They just let it. It's that radio station at the lowest level of volume that's playing behind. It's there sending you messages you're just not paying attention to them and you're not changing the station when it doesn't work. So a lot of what I think about is making unconscious conscious, just make it in your awareness and then own it. It's perfectly fine to be a good enough mother. You're not going to like destroy your child. You're going to destroy your child if you're a terrible mother, but even terrible mothers make great kids. Some of our best executives in the world come from terrible parenting, you know, because they've like, 
reacting to, I'll never do that. So yeah. you just don't know, you know, it's, yeah. But I think the guilt is you, you're, the reality is not aligned with the expectation. The expectation is I'm going to be perfect at my job. I'm going to be perfect at my, you know, raising my family. I'm going to put a beautiful table together for the holidays. I'm going to, you know, the dog's going to be perfectly, you know, groomed, blah, 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 blah. And the reality is you have to say, eh, the dog can be a little dirty and the table's going to be just fine and everybody's going to have a wonderful conversation and my kid's going to pick their nose. And that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> this is my issue, Anne-Marie. We'll save that for wine for another day. But when your expectations are really, really high all the time, you got that's a constant thing. I get it. Yeah. So let's get into the how part of this because Great. I know what we're talking about here is not simple. There is no easy quick Great. fix. But I am looking for... You know, I think anyone listening is like, well, how do I, what strategies, what changes, what tips, how can I start to turn the dial a little bit so the inner critic's not overtaking me, but maybe I'm using it for good. It's helping me. What? Let's talk about that a little bit. What comes to mind? What's worked yeah. for you? Okay. So the, the where I start with myself, by the way, in addition to when I'm working with clients mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Um, when they feel their inner critic kind of being really noisy. Mm -hmm. How, I asked the question, how old do you feel and where are you? That's a great question. Okay. This is like my gold question. So I'm now sharing my (laughs) Your secret. The world. And the reason I asked that question is go back to the conversation, you know, the couple of points ago in our conversation around sometimes the inner critic comes from someone else's fears, not yours. Right. And so the first part of this sort of tackling the inner critic is to understand whose critic it is. Is it my critic or is it somebody else's critic that I've decided to adopt and own and, you know, make mine? That is a really powerful question. I've had people literally break down in tears. Um, You know, I was at the dinner table. I was nine years old. I wouldn't eat my peas you know, my father got really mad and threw a dish at me. And da, 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 da. Yeah. I just suspected my mother. I was so bad for not liking peas. Think about that. You're nine years old. You don't like peas. Your father mm-hmm. throws a dish at you uh, because you're somehow disrespectful for your mother because you don't like peas. Like, right. okay, that is not about me being a good person. Or, you know, that is about somebody else's crazy energy around respect and peas. Like, this is cuckoo. So, doing that, you disconnect the noise, what is being criticized from reality. And as an adult, you can then say, well, isn't that crazy? Like, who throws a dish because a kid didn't eat peas? That's about somebody else's cuckoo for Cocoa Buffs. That's not about mine, right? So you you disconnect it and you kind of get a sense of it. The second piece of it for me is, okay, now that you kind of get a sense of that, you have a little bit of a skill to say, I'm gripped in the moment with this. Is this mine or is this someone else's? If it's someone else's, well, then you can say, that's very nice. Thank you for the gift. You know, I'm going to return it or gift it to somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, even, yeah, I gotcha. If it's mine to own, Mm -hmm. and you know, when you do this exercise, there will be aspects that are perfectly yours to own. Then you can do something with it. You can, you know, you can analyze it a little bit and say, okay, is this helpful to me or is this harmful? It's probably not that diametric, but when is this helpful and when is this harmful? You can give it a name, you know, like my inner critic's name is, you know, 
mm-hmm. you know, Satan. <laughs> whatever right and and you and you make it concrete and you you know maybe you have a little you know a little toy figurine that you use to give it a give it some some sense because if you can see it and feel it and own it you can control it if you can't see it and feel it and own it it's like that monster under the bed um, yeah. You know, when you were a little kid and then your mom turns on the light and you realize it was just a little action figure, but it looked like a huge monster in the shadow, you know, so like mm-hmm. really kind of getting a sense of what it is, who owns it, what it is, and then making it, you know, concrete so you can sort of control it. And then I think um, a bit of it is, you know, sort of to externalize it. So so what'll happen with the inner critic is it's just inside of you eating you. Yes. And when you put it outside Sometimes when you put it outside, others will give you a reaction that'll help you put it into perspective. So for example, a therapist, I go to a therapist all the time. I love my therapist. Mm-hmm. She's like my favorite right. person. She's yes. more than my mother. Um, so Funny. she, you know, I'll just say like, blah, blah, blah. And this is what I da, 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 And I'm all worked up about this. And she'll look at me with her face. If any of you have been to therapists, you know, the face that they give you. This is the face. She gives me the face and I realized like, oh, that is really kind of crazy, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, kind of not so good. Like, stop that. Right. And so sometimes you don't have the skills to stop it because it's just in your like self-talk. Put it out there. Someone else will give you the funny face, Patty. Yeah. And then you say like, oh, maybe that is okay. Let's <laughs> stop that. I think that the next piece of it, and this is the piece that goes into the make it a superpower, is to realize it has a purpose. And the purpose is for good. It really is. It's it's to keep you safe. It's to help you master things at a whole new level. It's to help you navigate that change, to go into those yeah. crazy uncharted mm-hmm. territories with some sense of safety, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you're going to have a bit of a calibration of how far out you go before you're going to fall in and drown. Mm-hmm. So really appreciate that, you know, it can be loved and nurtured. And, and right. when you love it and nurture it, you take away the Satan aspect of the demon. Yeah. How can it help me? You know, um, I don't know. This, one of the things that I thought of when you're talking about externalizing it, which I think you're going a little bit different direction, but one of the things that really helped me on my inner critic, when I would speak or I would be, you know, doing something really in front of a huge group or something that was scary to me is how, given how I grew up, I would always be, I hope they like me. I hope I'm good. Yeah. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I'm great, yeah. you know? And I, in my, one of the things that really helped me a few years ago was the flip from really only thinking about how can I contribute here? How can I get, share something yeah. I know? How can I contribute? Not do they like me? You know, and it's that for me, that switch kind of put my inner critic in the, in the closet and get off the stage, you know? Right. I don't know if that is this for me, it was a coping thing, but I'm wondering like, are there other things like that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because so, so much of the inner critic is about likability for women in particular. Yeah, for sure. Um, And for men, not so much, but for women, it's Mm -hmm. this, you know, and you think in terms of, you know, good girls must. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. this whole, I'm watching The Crown again. Oh my it, gosh, I love right? it. And last night love it. on The Crown was the the scene where, you know, the mother tells the, the queen that, you know, she didn't go to, they didn't educate her to be smart. They educated her to be a good girl, a proper girl, you know. Yes, yes. And you're sitting there like, okay, like that was such a telling 
moment and so relevant to, to the comment you just made because, you know, whether we, we realize it or not, whether it was purposeful or not, we were socialized, women were socialized to be good girls. And so therefore, the reward for being a good girl is that, you know, you must be liked, right? And so- And approval, approval, approval getting approval. That. Yeah. For and sure. So, mm-hmm. You know, I think the way I think about this is, and I'll tell you a little story if, if it's, but is, you know, if you're going to drive large scale change in any of those you know, context that we talked about, you know, social for sure, you know, your government, uh, you know, work. If you're going to drive large scale change, you will not be liked. Yes, for because sure. There is a population mm-hmm. in the organization that's inner critic is huge and it is holding <laughs> on to perfection. And it is like its purpose in the world is to stop change from happening. So, you know, you're going to be entering into an environment where, you know, you won't be liked. And so I think this whole piece of, you know, is being liked, who do I really want to like me? Like, I want my yeah. son to like me. And it would be nice if the dog liked me once in a while. <laughs> right? Yes. But do I really need the world to like me? Because again, that's a that's an expectation that's not going to align with reality. Um, so rather, you know, I like to change like to other words that are achievable. You know, I'd rather be respected. Yes. Or I'd rather be, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And so to do an exercise on what you re- really, you know, is it really that you want to be liked, Patty, or is it that you want to be respected because you're a thought leader and you bring For teams sure. together and you engage them around really interesting material and and they, as a result, will, you know, get a nugget and change in response to your impact. So you want to be impactful. You want to be innovative. You want to be you know, a thought leader, whatever, but not, you know, to be liked, I think is crazy because the mailman may not like you because he has to bring more packages to your house than anyone else's and they're heavy and you don't, you can't even control that, um, like ability. The other thing I think in terms of is process over outcomes. This is really, 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 really hard in America, other countries easier because, you know, the cultures are socialized differently, but to be thinking in terms of the process I'm on a journey. I'm on a process. I'm going to do the right things as opposed to I'm going to get the the right outcome. And when you can relieve yourself from the outcome, you can kind of break away the likability piece too. Well, and you also, a lot of the, you know, if you read a lot of the great sports coaches and everything, that's what their thing is, right? You focus on the process. The, the process. Come. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I also think the interesting thing that you, you know, touched on in, in this conversation is that, you know, the likability, the desire for approval, which is, I think, to me, very connected, is separating that from, you may have to make a choice. Like you're saying like, okay, what is it you really want? Is it really that approval or is it more, you want to be respected? You want to have an impact and you may have to make some choices there based on what's going on in your head. I want to go back to, okay, I know you advise and coach a lot of senior leaders, top leaders, executives, you talked about some of the questions you asked them. What have you seen really work for them on when they feel like their inner critic is overtaking them? What are those other, what other practical steps have you seen them take that you can see, okay, yeah. this is working? Yeah. I mean, so I think like a lot of change efforts, you know, this is a discipline. It's not, you know, it's a process, but it's a discipline, right? To 
to manage, to be aware of and manage the inner critic. I think in terms of like when you're on a diet, you know, Monday through Thursday, you do really well. And then Friday, (laughs) there's the cheesecake and you eat the cheesecake. So the cheesecake symbolically in the diet analogy is, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. gripped with the inner critic um, at a moment in time. And so it's less about do you eat the cheesecake right? Because it's going to happen. You're going to eat the cheesecake (laughs) or at least take a few bites. It's what do you do Saturday morning? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Saturday morning, do you get back on the discipline or do you eat another piece of cheesecake? Right. And so it's the sort of appreciation of, you got to think about this all the time, every day, no matter how good you are at it, you know, something will trigger so, for example, yesterday I was in a morning meeting we have every day at the firm, a Monday, every Monday at the firm. It's no big deal meeting. I mean, it's a big deal meeting because it's a ritual of the firm, but, you know, it's everybody just, they go around the table and everybody reviews what they've got on their plate, kind of like a stand-up call, probably in an operating company. And we were talking about an offsite we're having here in Vail coming up in January, and I blurped. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I went skiing in Vail. The snow's great yesterday. And like, it was really great. And like, in the safe COVID testing, it was really great. Da, 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 da. And my CEO said, okay, good. Somebody will deal with that. Let's go on to the next topic. And like, he really kind of shut me off. Yeah. No, right. he didn't shut, like, he's just managing the, the meeting. Like, I left the meeting all day going, like, oh, God, did I blurt too much? Like, that was really weird. But I was, <laughs> why did I keep blurting? Like, yeah. was, nobody really cared about the snow. And, right. and then like four or five people, you know, texted me later and like, oh, we were so excited to hear their snow. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what's going on? Shut up in her voice. Like, it yeah. doesn't, like nobody, like that was like a nanosecond in the entire, you know, days of meetings. Right. And so like over something silly. Right. Okay. I ate the cheesecake. <laughs> All right. Yes. So, <laughs> like, let it go. You know, talk about it once to make sure I, I'm not crazy and then go, you know, and then go on. So, I mean, I think it's a bit of appreciating it's always going to happen. It's what you do when it happens so that you can sort of stop it, stop the do loop and go forward. With the executives I work with, the biggest part is making sure it doesn't stop them from the change agenda because they're afraid of some crazy thing that's going to happen as a result. That's the harder work to do because that can be the, you know, many of you probably have this, you know, the running list of why I shouldn't, you know, why I shouldn't do this presentation or if I'm going to do this presentation, I'm going to spend 82 hours preparing for it instead of um, three hours to prep. You know, it's like that over, over, that over punitive, you know, energy that, that that's making sure you get it all right. That's the work. Sometimes you have to stop because that triggering can be really powerful for example. Because there's a you lot know, at stake, you know. There is. And you know, I think too, Henry, I want to go back to your personal example. I'm I'm picturing three faces of people I completely respect who in the last week I have had conversations with about second guessing themselves, replaying a meeting, replaying a conversation. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. I bet I, I could have handled this better. And I'm curious about how do you deal with that? That to me is very, very common. The replayers, you know, replayers. So I think replaying is, is fine. I actually think replaying to rephrase it, you know, is sort of, you know, let's just deconstruct what happened and learn from it. 
put a couple strategies in place and go forward. You know, the deconstructing is great. Um, the mantra that I love mantras, by the way, I love mantras. Of course. I have all these yes. other mantras in my head. <laughs> One of my mantras is um, don't be sorry, be better. Right. And so what happens when you're replaying the meeting is you're sorry. Like what happened with the little story I just said, I was sorry. I'm so sorry I did that stupid little blurping. I was just trying to be interpersonal with people. Like I wasn't like, it, like it was like not a bad thing. Like, it, you know, and I'm just making, I'm using this as an example, but you know, okay. If I really want to deconstruct, you know, how could I have done that better instead of, you know, am I, am I regretful and sorry and like ruminating on what I did? Cause you can't change what you did. Right. Really. It's a, it's in the past, you know, but how can you, you know, go forward with that as a learning opportunity um, to go mm-hmm. better? You know, don't eat right. four pieces of cheesecake, just eat one, just take just two eat- bites, not, you know. Bites. Yeah. Well, and I think in some of these cases, you know, some of us will go back and you'll replay when there was nothing there. <laughs> it's like there wasn't, everything went great from the other people's perspective. So I think that, you know, keeping that, using that in a constructive way of, you know, learn from it, think about it. It's almost like, and then move on, right? You don't right. need to replay the entire thing. Exactly. The other thing I'm, I'm curious about is, and I think I mentioned to you that one of the things is not as, as much of the psychological angle, but more situational. I always encourage like my clients, zero in where those triggers you've mentioned. Sometimes yeah. there are people, sometimes it's, I hear this a lot, presenting at the executive committee meeting. They're yeah. not used to, or just being in there. Or sometimes it's personal situations where, you know, I'm more stressed on Friday because, or Monday Mondays for me yeah. are always, you know, and so I'm curious, like, if you think about the people you coach, do you also talk about that? Think about that? Like those yeah. triggers, you know, yeah. you know how, how do you, if you're dealing with some of those, how do you help people figure out what are your triggers? What are the situations that your inner critic is going to be overtaking you? Yeah. So go back to the comment I made about, you know, how old do you feel and what's going on? Again, the gold, because that in that answer, in that little exercise, in that little bit of insight, those little nuggets of, of secret special sauce about you will be where those triggers um, will, will come from. So if you say, oh my God, you know, go back to the peas and the table. Well, gosh, you know, it's illogical. I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, just all of a sudden I'll do something bad and then, you know, a dish is going to come at me, you know, over silly little peas, right? You're going to have this overwhelming anxiety. Your, your, your inner critic is going to be on like hyperdrive because it doesn't know what it doesn't know. And it, it's going to have to always keep you safe against everything. You know, it's like a omnipresent. If it's in that situation, then you got to break things down, like I said, and you've got to own it and you've got to sort of own a bit of it's going to be less about do you have strategies for specific triggers? It might be when it triggers, here's my here's what I do. strategies, right? Um, are you talking about snakes in the grass? that you don't know are going to come bite you? Or are you talking about bear, you know, bears that you'll see coming and they'll be big and ugly and hairy and dangerous, but you'll know it's coming and you just have to respond, right? And so it's a bit of understanding what, where are you most vulnerable and, you know, how will those triggers, um, you know, trigger you when you're most vulnerable? Because remember, the inner critic is keeping you safe, 
right? So when you feel vulnerable, it's going to be on hyperdrive. When you're doing things like a presentation, you know, those are sort of the bears, right? You know, it's there, it's coming. You can put some strategies around it, all fine, you know, and go back to the good enough. Is this a presentation that I have to do or I just have to be a good enough executive? Right. right. Or is this like my TED talk and I need to be, you know, a little bit more on my game and then reality and expectations. If I have to be more on my game, reality, then I better raise my expectations around how much I prepare, who I bring in to help me prepare, you know, like your team, um, et cetera. You know, so you don't, I think sometimes people will go into these big, huge situations where they're going to trigger alone. And this is when you call your community. Because um, your community is going to help you. They're either going to help you change your skill set or they're going to help you calm the voice or they're going to, if nothing else, just tell you you're good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe you just need to know like, okay, you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, what would Patty say when I'm standing up in front of the, you know, in, in front of the board? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two things you said that really, you know, uh, stuck with me. One is that your inner critic can kind of become very powerful when you feel most vulnerable. So knowing when do you feel most vulnerable helps. Yeah. I have to say one of my big learnings from this conversation is like you said, your inner critic keeps you safe. It's not bad to have an inner critic. It's just for you, you're, you're talking about, but balancing it, using it for good, not for, you know, to make you feel, you know, destructed or, you know, whatever you might feel. So I think that's an interesting twist that I think most of us would not think about, you know? Well, because so many times it judges, it criticizes, mm-hmm. it demeans, right? You're not good enough. You're too fat. Mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're not pretty. You're, you know, too loud. You know, you snorted mm-hmm. when you shouldn't, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just going on and on and on. Um, mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is most people really don't care about us. Um, they don't only care about themselves. And so <laughs> that, that, you know, goes on about, you know, like, oh, my God, what, am I, what should I wear tomorrow? I will tell you, nobody really pays attention. <laughs> nobody <laughs> cares what you're going to wear tomorrow. Right. Yes. The other <laughs> thing, too. Really, really bad that they'll care. But you know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Exactly. Right? The other thing I thought of um, is, you know, I know th- my therapist several years ago said something to me that really stuck to me. I'm the, and I, I'm thinking of it as you're talking is you feel how you feel. It's okay. What you choose to do about it, that's a separate thing, right? If you want to change that. And so I think also sometimes if you are feeling vulnerable or if you are feeling afraid, that's how I feel. Okay, here it is. Now, you know, what can I do about it versus let it, you know, kind of overtake me? We're almost out of time. And before we close, though, I want to say, you know, Anne-Marie, if you think about anybody else that's listening, that you think any other just words of encouragement or advice that you would have from all of the experiences you've had and people you've talked to going through this, any other just tips or thoughts, you know, that you would leave listeners with? Yeah. I mean, I think I would go back to a little bit of where we, where we started, which is, you know, I, I'm assuming people on this, on this podcast um, are leaders and change leaders and they want to make something different happen. They want to make change happen. They want to do more creative work. They want to do more innovative work. They want to, you know, reap, you know, you know, redesign the world, reimagine the world, whatever it is. 
by definition, doing that work is going to put you in um, environments where it's new and different and unknown. And that unknown is going to trigger all sorts of noises in (laughs) your head. You have so much capability to put those noises to rest. Um, Again, we've talked some of those strategies. I won't rework them there. But your best work will happen when your inner critic is purposeful. Your best work will happen when your inner critic is purposeful. So making your inner critic go away or making your inner critic, you know, too loud, like on either side of the continuum, isn't going to be the superpower we talked about. It's when you can say, wait a minute, this is actually going to motivate me. It's going to propel me. It's going to drive me to do things few people before me could do. And when you hit resistance, when you hit people looking at you like you're cuckoo, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, ooh, exactly, ooh, they don't like me, you celebrate because resistance means you hit the nerve of change, right? And so this, this sense of like one of the most powerful skills to have in the world is when you can reframe what feels wrong to what could potentially be right. So, you know, all these people talk about, oh, you're going to hit resistance, blah, 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 blah. Good. Let's <laughs> yes, exactly. When I worked yeah. at Cisco, we were doing this massive change initiative. And, and my team, we would celebrate. We would literally cheer. We would talk about when we hit resistance because we knew we hit the nerve. Right. Like if we weren't hitting resistance, we weren't, we weren't doing enough. Mm-hmm. To you're playing too safe. Mm-hmm. The change. We were playing it too mm-hmm. safe. The inner critic, when left alone, if it's that super ego, the judger, the criticizer, the demeanor, it's Mm going to keep you in a safe place. Yeah. It's its job. It's going to keep you safe. So, you know, when it tells you you're too fat, you know, it's telling you, no, I'm not too fat. I just have a little, I just have a little spaghetti love around my belly. (laughs) (laughs) My son used to say, when I, when I would say like, oh my God, I'm getting fat. My son would say, mom. It's the most beautiful pooch in the world. It that's where I lived and it was so warm and comfortable oh, that oh. if it were really skinny like all those other moms, like I wouldn't have had such a great, you know, person. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he learned the lesson of reframing, right? He did. Yeah. He did. He learned it well. Yeah. You also touched on, I think, one other just last point is you talked about if you're doing something different, hard, new. It, it, you're going to hit some bumps. You're going to hit some resistance. It's not going to be, you know, everybody's going to love it. And so part of that gets back to what you talked about before about your expectations. Like, okay, expect it going in and don't be surprised when it happens. And I think that can also help. I think if I'm not to put words in your yeah. mouth. No, no, no. It's the power of the pre-mortem. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. my readers do pre-mortems all the time. So, you know, everybody will do post-mortems at you know, various points along a change journey. What could we have done better? I love doing the pre-mortem. If we're Mm -hmm. sitting here in six, 12 months, what will we be saying? Mm -hmm. And how do, and how do we get prepared for those dynamics to hit us? So in in essence, it's let's predict the triggers and own them and know they're coming and make sure everybody else knows they're coming so that when they come, it isn't a, uh uh-oh, you know, inner critic going off saying you did bad. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a, oh, we knew that was going to happen. You know, of course, you know, we've Mm -hmm. got to deal with it, but let's 
let's let's own it and move on. Right. Exactly. And let's move on. Exactly. Exactly. This has been a great conversation, Anne Marie. Oh my gosh, we could have we could have gone much longer. But um I hope this has given everybody a few tips on how to use that inner critic inner critic for good and not overpower you. Also, I think we would both agree if talking to someone, going to to speak to a therapist, if you feel like that's needed and that may help you on this, please, we encourage everybody to do that. If you feel like it's a little bit more than you can really face yourself alone, we've both done it before and has really, at least in my life, made a huge difference. So encourage that. And then Anne-Marie, thank you for making time to talk about this super important topic. Yeah, fabulous. And to wonderful. Be here. Thank you for doing this and uh, happy holidays to everyone. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today for Be a Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.